his life was in danger, then it was legal to attempt to heal him on the Sabbath. But if not, then the healing had to wait for another day. It needed to wait until a day which was not the Sabbath for the healing to take place. In the preceding verses, Jesus had just demonstrated to, the, to a group of Pharisees that it was biblically justified to do works of necessity on the Sabbath. And when he did this, he appealed to three different sections of the Old Testament. He appealed uh, to the law. He appealed to the writings of the Old Testament. He appealed to the prophets in making his case. And then he quoted from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. He said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And he said that if they had known what this verse meant, if they had known what it means to desire mercy and not sacrifice, then they would not have condemned the guiltless. Well, this morning's passage is an object lesson in this verse in Hosea. This morning's passage shows that works of mercy are also permitted on the Sabbath, just as works of necessity were, just as works of piety are. And Jesus desires to demonstrate to the Pharisees, He desires to demonstrate to us exactly what mercy looks like. You want a picture of what mercy is? You want to understand what mercy looks like? Mercy is healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. In other words, extending mercy to another person, someone who has been created in the image of God, is so important to God that He will allow you to break the Sabbath, to profane the Sabbath in order to do it. I would ask you as we work our way through these verses uh, to consider this. Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, all for the purpose of showing mercy so that everyone who calls upon His name will be saved. Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, all for the purpose of showing mercy so that everyone who calls upon His name will be saved. Now I've got a very simple outline for you this morning. Uh, two points. Verses 9 to 12, a merciless trap. And verses 13 and 14, the cost of mercy. Again, verses 9 to 12, a merciless trap. And verses 13 and 14, the cost of mercy. Let's, let's look now at verses 9 to 12. Verse 9 says that Jesus went on from there and He entered the synagogue of the Pharisees. And there was a man there with a withered hand as verse 10 tells us. And the Pharisees decided to make use of the man's condition. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They asked Jesus. And we read that they were hoping to accuse Jesus. But if we look at the parallel passage in Luke, chapter uh, 6, verse 8 says that Jesus knew their thoughts. Jesus knew what they were contriving. He knew that they were setting a trap for Him. And Jesus willingly walked into their trap. And so imagine the scene. Imagine this taking place. Here's a man. He's come to the synagogue. He's got a withered hand. He's got a, he's got a hand which is not functioning. He's expecting to worship. The hand that is withered is his right hand, according to Luke. Now the Greek word that describes the man's conditioned, uh, condition means literally dried up. His hand might have been paralyzed in some sort of mishap. Something might have happened that uh, disabled this man's ability to use his right hand. So here's the man in the, in the synagogue. And Jesus invariably would have been going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. It was his custom. 
And so the Pharisees knew to expect Jesus on that day. The Pharisees are hoping that they can lay charges against Jesus. And the man with the damaged hand provided just the opportunity that they were looking for. And again, Jesus had set a, a pattern. He'd set a, a precedent of healing those who are infirmed. So with this man present, all they had to do was ask the question of Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They had set the trap. The tension was on the spring. All Jesus needed to do now was to do exactly what they hoped He would, which was, would be to heal this man. They were not interested in the man's health. They were not interested in his well-being. They didn't care that this man could not use his hand and so was not able to function in society. But Jesus did care. It was an opportunity to teach the Pharisees and those watching what Hosea 6.6 means. But it was primarily an opportunity for Jesus to heal the man's hand. Now one of the great purposes of Jesus' coming was to bring healing with Him. In, in many of the Messianic passages of the Old Testament, we read that Jesus comes to heal the lame, to give sight to the blind. We've studied these passages in past weeks, but we know that this is the purpose of Jesus Christ. And the main purpose of His healing physical infirmities was to point to His ability to heal the people of their spiritual infirmities. These were signs. They were signs of who Jesus Christ is. They were meant to cause the people to ask, if He's able to do this, how much more can He do? Jesus came to heal people of their sin. And so here this man stands alongside Jesus. He's got a withered, dried-up hand. But his hand was no more dried up than the hearts of the Pharisees. And Jesus' willingness and ability to heal, even on the Sabbath, proves that He was the one who has come, as Isaiah 51.3 says, to comfort Zion and make her wilderness like Eden and her dried up deserts like the garden of the Lord. He is the one who has come so that green shoots would spring forth out of dry land. The Pharisees were living examples of the dried up deserts of Zion. Their legalism had nearly uh, stamped out the soul of the people. But even though the Pharisees are the arch enemies of Jesus, in verses 11 and 12 we see His willingness to reason with them. It appears that Jesus hasn't quite given up on them. And so He challenges their unbelief. He challenges their lack of faith. He says to them in verse 11, "...which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out?" He knew what they would do if they had a sheep in a pit or an ox in a ditch. And everyone else knew as well. And he says they would find a way to get the animal out. They would do this. Animals were valuable to people in that day. Sheep were very valuable to people in that day. They provided clothing as well as as food for people. Well, Jesus has used arguments from from the lesser to the greater before, and He uses one in verse 12, of how much more value is a man than a sheep. 
Each person in the synagogue would readily confirm that human life is of far greater value than the life of a sheep. Each person there would say, absolutely, a man's life is much more valuable than a sheep. And so if the Pharisees were willing to break the Sabbath to rescue a sheep, they ought to be willing to break it to rescue a person. However, here's the argument that the Pharisees would use against Jesus in this case. They would likely have argued that the withered hand of the man did not constitute a life and death situation. They would argue that he had gotten along just fine up to this point. What's the rush on healing him on the Sabbath? Why not wait for another day? You see, for the Pharisees, refraining from these 39 categories of work on the Sabbath was much more important than caring for a human being. The rules and the regulations regarding the Sabbath were more important than a person being healed. And the man's withered, dried-up hand truly was representative of the Pharisees' withered, dried-up hearts. But just in case they weren't capable of drawing this obvious conclusion, Jesus draws it for them. At the end of verse 12, He says, So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Works of mercy are permitted on this day. That's what Jesus is telling them. But what else is Jesus telling them? What is He telling us? Jesus also serves here to remind us of the great value of human life. Even if a person's life is not in danger, it is still permissible to profane the Sabbath in order to heal the man. Because human beings are valuable to God. Now it seems in this day and age that our society places a higher premium on the life of animals than it does on man. The argument may not be made in the same way today as it was 2,000 years ago. There was greater public indignation when Michael Vick started playing professional football again after he served his time in jail than there is about the infanticide that is taking place in our nation on a daily basis in abortion clinics. This passage teaches us the value of human life. It teaches us how precious life is to God. But why is this? Why is life so precious? It's because man is made in the image of God. Unlike the animals. Man alone is described in the Bible as being made a little lower than the heavenly beings. Now this illustration that Jesus uses of the, of the sheep in the pit uh, as opposed to a man's life, it does not deny the value of animals. It does not say that animals are not valuable. Indeed, it holds up their value. But this illustration serves simply to promote the greater value of human life. That is, life that is made in the image of our Creator. And in truth, if human beings were not of greater value than animals, if we had not been created in the image of God, then Jesus Christ never would have added to His divine nature a human nature. If we are of no greater value than a sheep, the second person of the Trinity would have abhorred the virgin's womb to tweak the words of, O come all ye faithful. He would have hated and would not have come in the flesh. Jesus Christ would never have come in the flesh to save us if we were of no greater value than a sheep. And if He had not come, we would have been as hopeless as the man with the withered hand in the care 
of Pharisees. Let's look now at verses 13 and 14, the cost of mercy. In verse 13, Jesus showed the true value of human life by profaning the Sabbath. And He shows the true meaning of, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He showed mercy and compassion on this man by healing him. Verse 13 says, Then He said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. In this instant, Jesus did not touch the man as He had in others. He did not make a pronouncement that the man's affliction was healed as He had with others. He simply told the man to stretch out His hand. And when He did this, the hand was completely restored. Now Jesus knew what this particular act of His would bring. He knew the bitterness and the hatred in the hearts of the Pharisees. He knew what this would result in. He recognized that this would be the beginning of the end. And yet in spite of all of that, Jesus had compassion on the man and He healed him. And Jesus' act of compassion, Jesus' act of healing, pointed forward to the healing that He would bring in His sacrifice on the cross. And when He healed this man, when He told him to stretch out His hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath, when He did this, it set Jesus decisively on the path to the cross. Verse 14 says, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against Him how to destroy Him. And their conspiracy would ultimately ultimately result in His death on the cross. That was the true cost of mercy. You see, mercy always costs something. Mercy always exacts a toll. Even if we carry out mercy in the lives of others, it requires something of us. It is much easier, it requires no cost to do what the Pharisees did, which was to sit back and complain, to gripe about Jesus Christ. But for Christ to pour out mercy on this man, to heal his hand, was of great personal cost to God. But Jesus had already proved His willingness to do this. He'd already proved His willingness to pay the cross, to go to the cross by being born into this world. As Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 say, Jesus made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was the man who had been born to die so that the withered up hearts of sinners like you and I could have hope of salvation. 1 Peter 2, verse 24 says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Jesus Christ is the Son of Righteousness. And He has come with healing in His wings, as Malachi chapter 4 says. But it is only by the wounds that He received on the cross that you and I can be healed. If Jesus' willingness to heal this man on the Sabbath showed how great is the value of human life, then His willingness to die on the cross showed how awful is the deficit, is the debt of human sin. 
Our sin is so vile in the sight of a holy God. It is so vile in His sight that it required a perfect sacrifice in order to atone for it. And before a person knows Christ, before a person is able to embrace Jesus Christ in faith, his sin makes him as much an enemy of Christ as the Pharisees were. You see, sin does not affect one part of us as the man's withered hand did. It affects every bit of us through and through. It is pervasive. And when we remain in sin, we are dead in sin. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But he follows up that thought in chapter, uh, verses 4 and 5 of the same chapter with this. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Our salvation, your salvation and my salvation, are the result of God's rich mercy which He poured out on pitiful sinners. And the great cost of God's richness and mercy was the death of His Son. Just as in a way Jesus gave up His life in order to heal the man that day in the synagogue, so His Father gave up His Son in order that we might be healed from our sinful infirmity. And Jesus knew. He knew from the very beginning that all of this would happen. He knew from all eternity that He would go to the cross. And in spite of this knowledge, indeed because of this knowledge, He went willingly to the cross. He did it because He had your name and my name and all the names of people who profess faith in Jesus Christ written on His hands. Because He loves us. And He knew us by name before we were ever created. The Pharisees' trap did not take Jesus by surprise, nor did their plotting to destroy Him. It was all a part of God's glorious plan to accomplish salvation for His people. This is the God. This is the God we are called to worship today and every day. Emmanuel. The God who is with us. The God who came in the flesh and dwelled among us. He is the God who places such a high value on human life that He would rather profane the Sabbath than see someone continue in their suffering. He is the God that is so offended by sin and yet so loving of mankind that He sent His Son to to be destroyed on the cross. So that everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ would be saved. This is the God who calls you to serve Him. He is the God who alone is worthy of worship and honor and praise and service. This is the God. He is the God who said, I desire mercy instead of sacrifice. Let us come now to this God in prayer. Let us pray. Our gracious and most holy God, we 
come to You. And we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You for this extravagant display of mercy that Jesus Christ bestowed on this man. In spite of all that he faced, in spite of the knowledge that he would go to the cross and that that trip to the cross could be traced back to this incident with this man on the Sabbath, Jesus did it. Lord, we pray that you would continue to teach us about the great cost of mercy. Continue to teach us what it means that Jesus Christ came with healing in his wings. And help us, O oh Lord, help us to be vessels of your mercy. Help us, Lord, to pour out mercy upon those who do not know the Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.